Evening, everyone. And on screen. Um, I'm going to read something tonight rather than speak off the cuff. Um, I mentioned, I think, that uh, I started writing a book on the precepts, which would be a guide to people taking up the precepts. And I've written a few chapters. And uh, so I wanted to read you one of the one of the chapters. This is kind of an introduction before we actually get to the precepts. A bit of a preamble. Five chapters which were a preamble. Um, and this chapter is called um, Moral Philosophy and Zen. Can you hear me okay on Zoom? Is that loud enough? Okay. So, Moral Philosophy and Zen. First of all, renounce all evil, practice all good, save the many beings. These three injunctions are a prelude to the ten great precepts as an overall statement of intent. While they seem straightforward, it would be useful for us to explore what is meant by good in the light of contemporary moral philosophy and how prevailing scientific views impact on how we understand ourselves as human beings. What underlies all moral philosophy is whether life in all its many forms has value or not. If there's no value in anything, then what is the point of living a moral life? We would just live in a self-centered way for maximizing pleasure and for survival of the fittest. Further, is value, like meaning, just something that human beings project onto life, or is there intrinsic value and sacredness in all forms of life? When the Buddha had his awakening under the Bodhi tree, it is said that he exclaimed, wonderful, wonderful, now I realize that all beings are the Tathagata, have Buddha nature. It's only their delusions and attachments that stop them from realizing this very fact. And in one of our Zen Sutras, Tore Zenji's Bodhisattva's vow, we recite, when I regard the true nature of all things and all living creatures, I find them to be the sacred forms of the Tathagata's never failing essence. Each particle of matter, each moment, is no other than the Tathagata's inexpressible radiance. These statements imply that there is a value that runs through all things and all living creatures. And it follows that the value of all things and all forms of life is something that is discovered through spiritual insight, not something we progressively learn or something that we project onto life. These statements are at the very core of understanding Zen practice and have enormous relevance for how we approach the precepts. We don't renounce evil and practice the precepts to become good, but rather to discover the inherent goodness that has always existed within us. It can be likened to cultivating it can be likened to cultivating a garden. The seeds of goodness are already in our unconscious, just as the seeds of flowers already exist in the earth, but they need the sunshine of mindfulness and the water of compassion to help them grow. This is true for the developing child 
that needs the love and mindfulness of parents to bring their goodness to fruition. And it's also true for an adult Zen practitioner who needs to eventually learn how to bring mindfulness and compassion to their own inner life. Practicing in the company of the spiritual community with friends of like-minded values makes a great difference in supporting this ongoing spiritual, emotional and moral growth. It is far more difficult to do it on your own. This understanding of the value of goodness is in contrast with the most dominant paradigm in contemporary science and academic philosophy, which in turn broadly influences public opinion. The reductionistic and deterministic idea that human beings are just machines, a bundle of causative effects that have no free will and no inherent values. This reductionistic view even tries to explain consciousness away as simply a biological process in the brain. In the mechanistic reductionistic model, there is no space for values because science is supposed to be value free in order to be objective. Yet it's blind to its own paradox. If science is about the uncompromising pursuit of truth, one assumes that truth must be something that is valued. The flaw in this prevailing view is that it is assumed that because it is scientific, it must be right. But among the elite scientists and philosophers in the world today, and particularly those that understand quantum physics and quantum biology, there is no rock solid basis for this reductionistic and deterministic view at all. It is a chimera, chimera. It is known as scientific dogmatism and its adherents can hold their views as rigidly as any fundamentalist religious cult. The alternative spiritual or religious view is that consciousness, free will, creativity, value, beauty, goodness, sacredness, are ontological primitives. In other words, they have always existed and are the fundamental basis of the universe, not add-ons that are projected onto the world. In Zen, we call it Buddha nature. The scientific reductionist paradigm is not necessarily amoral, but often goes together with a form of moral philosophy called utilitarianism. As Zen McGilchrist states, the dominant approach to ethics in our culture is utilitarianism, the belief that what is good is so because it issues in utility, given that the governing value of the left hemisphere of the brain is to aid manipulation of a creature's environment. This is exactly what we would expect if the left hemisphere were trying to give an account of what goodness might be. It substitutes for the complexity of reality a series of cause and effect mechanisms with the ultimate focus on outcomes. It suggests such outcomes can be assessed by calculation, the greatest happiness of the greatest number, and in keeping with its lesser emotional and social intelligence, removes the central interiority of morality and replaces it with the externalities of the kind it prefers. It then calls itself objective thereby implicitly trumping all other competitor theories and installs itself 
in university departments across the world. <laughs> the alternative to utilitarianism is virtue ethics, a right hemisphere-oriented approach to morality that focuses on the inner attitudes and intentions of the person and which embraces humility and compassion rather than calculated outcomes. The practice of the Zen precepts is aligned with virtue ethics, not utilitarianism. As Misselbrook puts it, virtue ethics is ethics for grown-ups living in a complex world with far more than 50 shades of grey. In considering whether to take up the precepts or not, it may be useful to, one, reflect on what family and cultural norms have shaped our understanding of morality, reflect on whether we hold a cynical view that it's only self-interest that drives human behaviour, reflect on whether we consider ourselves responsible for our speech and actions in the world, or whether we quite literally hold the view, my brain made me do it, or my dysfunctional family background is responsible, or the oppressors of my class, race, or gender identity are responsible. Just like an alcoholic going to a 12-step program to give up drinking, it is inherent in taking up the precepts that we fully embrace a sense of personal responsibility. No one is resp responsible for my drinking except me. No one is responsible for the harm and suffering I may create in the world except me. Unfortunately, as McGilchrist writes, we live at a time in history where our condition is always someone else's responsibility, never our own. This appears to be a defining characteristic of modern society.